All right, happy New Year's Eve. Oh, this is a good crowd for New Year's Eve. You guys excited about the new year? You ready for 2017? Yes, me too. And uh, man, what an incredible Christmas we had here at Potential Church. How many of you were at any one of our million and one Christmas services last week, right? Come on, how amazing was Christmas at Potential? It did not disappoint, and God showed up in a powerful way. Now listen, on, on the count of three, I want you to yell out your favorite Christmas gift that either you got, that you received, or that you gave to someone. All right? One, two, three. Yell it out. All right. I heard some shoes in there. Somebody, I think, said iPhone 7. Did I hear iPhone 7? I think somebody said. You know, it's funny. My, um, a lot of my Christmas gifts were actually beard grooming products. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is I was actually planning on shaving the beard after New Year's, but now I feel like I'm stuck with it just to put my gifts to use. So uh, it's, uh, but you know what, what an incredible Christmas we had, and I'm so honored to be here and to share my heart with you this weekend. And uh, I just want to take a moment, I want to honor our lead pastors, Pastors Troy and Steph, my parents, for this opportunity. And uh, I'm excited to be able to preach the last message of 2016 and the first message of 2017. I mean, come on, how often does that happen? When my parents asked me, hey, do you want to preach New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? I was like, yes, the last one of 2016, the first one of 2017. But that's also a lot of pressure, all right, so don't judge me, all right? I've been out of the saddle a little while. My dad earlier said that I'm coming out of retirement. Um, The last time I had spoken was uh, earlier on in the summer. But I'm excited uh, to share what God's laid on my heart. And if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and while you're turning there, I want to remind all the ladies in the house that on January 13th, yes, Friday the 13th, we have a free women's event uh, that's going to be going on actually at every single one of our campuses, and it starts at 7 p.m. It's a free women's event. I encourage you to come on out, invite a friend, and be here. Really, the whole night is about connecting and building friendships and relationships, And, you know, we have some Viva Women's groups that are going to be launching early this year. And so it's really a great season for our women's ministry here at Potential Church. So I encourage you, if you are a lady or if you know a lady, make sure to to get her here uh, on January 13th. It is going to be a time of worship. Uh, Pastor Steph's going to be bringing a word and just a time to connect and uh, have some fun. So be there for that. Are you there? Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 through 32, all right? And uh, this, is, this is what it says. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. And see, Levi was also referred to as Matthew. That was the name that, that Jesus had given him. So when I refer to Matthew, I'm referring to what the text says is Levi. So Levi, also known as Matthew, was sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And in verse 28, it says, so Levi got up left everything and followed him. And if you would, just circle verse 28. Circle that phrase. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of his fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. 
But the Pharisees, and, and you know, when you see the Pharisees in the Word of God, and in case you're not familiar, Pharisees are those who oftentimes were, were teachers of the law. They, they followed the law. They liked the rules. All right, to them, that's what, that's what religion was. It's following rules. And oftentimes, they were condemning other people that, um, that they viewed as sinful, those who were immoral, those who uh, had bad reputations, and they condemned them. They, they really didn't have a lot of grace for people. And it says that the Pharisees, and their religious teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? But then Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You know, in these next couple of weeks leading up to our New Year's Mysteries series that's kicking off January 21st and 22nd, you're going to want to be here for that series. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever done. We've got a lot of things planned and in the works. So be here, invite a friend. But over the next couple of weeks leading up to January 21st and 22nd, we are going to be gathering around this thought, they changed the world. And that's what's written right at the top of the outline you received when you came in. They changed the world. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at different groups of people, different individuals that changed the course of history forever. And as we do this in-depth study, we'll find that, that many of these people, there was nothing extraordinary or necessarily special about them. But yet they completely changed the course of history. So what was it? What was it, these average, ordinary, just like you and me kind of people that allowed them to change the world? And we'll find that for many of them, it started with one decision, a decision to be available for the call, the decision to be available to be used by God. Because see, God's not looking for perfect people. Can I get an amen? Anybody in here not perfect? Yeah, God's not looking for perfect people, but God is looking for available people. And see, so many times, especially this time of year, we make our New Year's resolutions and we set our goals and we make our plans and we, we have our own agendas. And listen, don't get me wrong, it's good to be ambitious. It's great to set goals. But when we become so focused on our own desires and making them happen our own way, we can completely miss the path that God wants to lead us on. And so I believe that this is a message that is for this new season that we're entering. And I'm believing that God is going to use my words just to inspire you, to encourage you. And uh, we believe that the best is yet to come. Amen. And so I've titled this message, Get Up, Leave, Follow. Will you bow your heads? Father, I thank you so much for, for the time that we have together, God. I pray that over these next few moments, God, that you would just... Open up our hearts to receive the word that you have for us, God, that it's a word in season for this new year, Father, because we believe that 2017 can be different than 2016, Father. And so I proclaim that. I speak that into the atmosphere, God. Father, my words are never good enough. But you tell us that when your word goes out, that it will not return void. So, Father, I pray that your word would go out and accomplish what you've attended. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you give God just a big shout of praise on this New Year's Eve. 
You know, I was, I was reading uh, a little bit earlier about how one of the hot items this Christmas was the iPhone 7. Does anybody have the iPhone 7? You got it? You want to wave it in the air? Woo, wave it at me. It's okay. You can have your phones in church. Listen, when I heard about the iPhone 7, I, because, you know, it seems like every time a new iPhone comes out, or actually just before a new iPhone comes out, the old one stops working. Right? Am I the only person? It's like as soon as word of an iPhone 7 came about, all of a sudden the iPhone 6 no longer works. And that was what happened for me. And so I started, you know, <clears throat> looking it up, seeing what it would cost, and, and, you know, kind of saving up for the iPhone 7. And can I tell you, as I was saving up, I was looking at that website every day. I mean, I was visualizing the iPhone 7 Plus in jet black right there in the palm of my hands. And it's like, you know, the jet black was different than all the rest. It wasn't the matte colored. It was like the glossy. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, I looked at that picture every single day. Right? Because I believe that what we speak out is what we can expect to get. So every day I'm looking at this picture. God, I declare that I will have the iPhone 7 in jet black in Jesus' name. And so when the time came to make the order, I went in and you know, I placed the order, and, and then this page came up, and it said about the iPhone 7 in jet black that it was not available. And that it wouldn't be available until later this fall. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How does Apple release a product, and in the color they know will be most popular, and it not be available? So then I was faced with the decision. I could wait until later and get the, you know, the jet black, or I could settle for the second option, which was gold. What do you think I did? Yeah, I settled. <laughs> I got the gold iPhone 7 Plus because I decided I just couldn't wait. But can I tell you how frustrating it was to find out that what I wanted was not available? It's so frustrating when we want something that is not available or when we call to a restaurant and they say they have no availability. Or when we try and get a room at a, at a hotel, but they have no rooms available. And I can't help but wonder, is that just a glimpse of what God feels when you and I are not available to answer the call that he's placed on our lives? And you see, when we look, when we look in Matthew, I'm sorry, when we look in, in Luke chapter 5 and we read the story of Matthew. See, we see that Matthew actually responded when Jesus asked him, follow me and be my disciple. He responded. And I think that there's something that we can learn from Matthew this weekend. And so if you're taking notes, all right, how do we make ourselves available to be used by God in 2017? First thing is this, abandon distractions and seize opportunities. Abandon distractions and seize Opportunities. You know, it says in verse 28 that Jesus asked Matthew to follow him and to be his disciple. And I want to take a, a close look at, at Matthew's response. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's no text leading up to this to uh, make us believe that, that Jesus and Matthew had encountered each other before. And so it seems very strange to me, very out of the ordinary, that this man named Jesus would walk up to Matthew as he's at his tax collector's booth, as he is working, and say, hey, this whole thing you're doing, why don't you just forget it? And right now, this second, why don't you come follow me? Have you, have you ever been, like, in, in your zone? <laughs> like, you're working on something, maybe it's, it's, it's a project or... Um, 
you know, trying to get something done, and people just seem to want to ask you a bunch of questions at that moment you're trying to accomplish something. Uh, anybody in here not a multitasker? Nobody? Oh, you're, you're all great at multitasking. Awesome. Well, I'm not. Okay, I'm not a multitasker. I, I cannot text and have a conversation at the same time. In fact, I seriously, I am known for like, you know, I'm trying to text, and it takes me like 25 minutes to send out a simple text because people keep asking questions. Every time I ask a question, I go, what, what did you just say? And then they got to backtrack, and I can't drive and be on the phone at the same time. If so, I just, I just keep driving and driving and driving. I can't multitask. And so when I'm in the zone, I, I hate it when people, you know, all of a sudden they see that I'm busy, but they want to come up and start a conversation. Well, this is what's going on in this text, all right? Matthew is at his tax collector's booth. He's a tax collector, meaning, you know, tax collectors in that time, they uh, really didn't have great reputations. They were known as really being notorious thieves because they would collect the, the tax for Rome, which was a certain amount. But then if they could get people to give them more money, if they could manipulate and deceive them, then they got to keep what was left over from the tax. And so that's how they made their profit. That's how they lived their lives and built their careers on deception, on manipulation, on theft. And so here is Matthew, the tax collector, at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, come follow me and be my disciple. And it says the first thing that he did was he got up. He got up from where he was. And the only reason for him to get up where he was is that he must have seen even just a small window of opportunity for something much greater. See, Matthew saw a door to take him from where he was to what I believe where he desired to be. And you know what? Jesus saw something in Matthew that day. But Matthew is the one who had to make the decision to get up, to get up from what undoubtedly I'm sure was a distraction from his true destiny. The greed, the money, the deception, the manipulation. He had to make the choice to get up. You know, it seems like it'd be an easy decision, right? Just to walk forward into your destiny. But if that's true, then, then why is it that so many of us miss it? Why is it that so many of us are still dealing with the same distractions that the enemy puts in our path year after year after year? The distraction of the crumbling marriage or the fear or the doubt or the insecurity. You know, others, they're distracted by things that are not necessarily bad, but just pull them away from their God-given destiny. See, distractions aren't always tragedies or bad things that take place in our lives. A distraction is simply anything that pulls you away from the direction in which God wants you to go on. It's, it's all about perception, perspective. I mean, for example, you could walk out of here this evening and get a flat tire, God forbid. And most people, right, we would agree that that is an inconvenience and a distraction from what it is we need to accomplish. But see, you can have a flat tire and a good attitude. And anytime we have a good attitude in the midst of a great challenge, it actually pushes us further down our God-given destiny. And why is that? Well, it's because when we experience a challenge, but we maintain a great attitude, God is developing something in us. Patience, kindness generosity, faith, and we can be sure that whatever God is developing in us, he will later pull out of us in order to prosper us. And so, see, we can face challenges, 
and have a great attitude, then you know what? Those challenges are not distractions. Those challenges are actually a catalyst to take us where God plans for us to go. But you know what? In the same way, something great can come into your life, maybe a relationship. And you think, oh, this is the best thing ever. Yes, this is what I've been waiting on. God has finally answered my prayer. But it could be a relationship that actually pulls you away from God, not draws you near him. And then all of a sudden, this great thing, this gift from God, or so we think, is actually a distraction from our true purpose. It's all about perspective. And, you know, distractions, even the ones we like, will keep us from seizing the opportunities. And especially when the God opportunities do not come packaged how we think they should. You know, I love what, uh, how this is illustrated in 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is the story of, of Elijah. And in this context of this story, Elijah was actually in hiding. He was on the run from Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel, not a good lady. And she was threatening to kill Elijah. And he was actually in hiding, and he was depressed, and he was frustrated. He actually cried out to God and said, God, I just want to give up and die. I've been doing your will. I've been following the path that you've set me on, and now I've got people set out to kill me. And this is what God says to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. See, many times the opportunities that God is preparing for you and I manifest themselves in the same way. And we're all guilty at one time of an, or another believing the lie that opportunities always announce their arrival. And you know what? That, that's just not the truth. See, many of us, we think that this is what opportunity looks like. It's glittery. Oh, I got to show you. I've got, look, I've got flashing lights. I think they're going to come on. Yes, we got to turn on the flashing lights, right? We think opportunity. Lights are going to be flashing. And there's going to be all these signs that say, walk this way. Come in. Open. And we think we're just going to stumble upon this door, right? This is the right opportunity. Have you ever heard people use that, the right opportunity? Oh, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. I know it's coming. Just waiting for the right opportunity. And see, when we say that, what we're actually communicating is that there are other opportunities around us. But we're waiting on the right opportunity because the right opportunity looks just like this. And so we start looking for this opportunity. And, and, and see, what this does, when, when we set our minds... That opportunity only looks like this, then it actually trains our minds to believe that opportunity can only happen through one way, and that's self-promotion. We believe that we have to be the very best, that we have to do the very best no matter what it takes and no matter who it hurts. That we have to climb up that ladder of success, that we can only watch out for ourselves, that we can only trust ourselves. And then we start to rely on our own strength, on our own wisdom, on our own understanding, rather than God's wisdom and God's strength and God's understanding. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Exactly. Man, there have been so many times where I have trusted in my own strength, my own wisdom, my own understanding. And can I tell you, it disappoints every single time. Every single time. 
Every time we're disappointed when we put our, our trust in ourselves. And see, when we look to the scripture, we see that opportunity oftentimes does not look like this. It's not a flashing door. Because when we look to the scriptures, we see that opportunity actually comes through humility, serving, and sacrifice. See, Jesus tells us in his word that, listen, if you want to be a leader, you must first be a servant. If you want to be wealthy, you must first be generous. If you want to be elevated in honor, you must first be hidden in obscurity. That's what he tells us. And, and you know, there's, um, there's a quote that I love, actually, by Thomas Edison. He said, most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. See, opportunities don't come with flashing lights and on silver platters. They come through leadership tests. See, what a leadership test is, it's when God tests what's already on the inside of our hearts. And can I tell you, I promise you this, God will always test your heart for the opportunity long before he gives you the opportunity. God will test your heart as the CEO. What decisions will you make? Will you persevere? Will you be kind? Will you be loving? Will you be the salt and light long before he ever makes you the CEO? For all my single friends in the house, listen, God will test your heart to see if you're the right person before he brings you the right person. God, he, he will test our hearts to see what we'll do with the platform before he gives us the platform. Listen, we, we are not waiting for the right opportunities. We are being tested for the right opportunities. Right now, right where you're at. Your job, your relationships, what God has put in your hands to be faithful to. And I don't know what it is in your life. I know I've been through many seasons Actually, um, this year I graduated college, and so there was a season that it was my first year of marriage, and I was a full-time student, and I oversaw the young adults, the youth, the preschool, uh, the worship team, the video team, the tech team, the backstage, like half the church. And uh, when God, I was like, that sounds like a grown-up job, God, what are you doing? In that season, that's what God told me to be faithful with. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's as a student. Maybe it's as a, a leader. Maybe it's as an employer. Whatever it looks like for you. God says, no, be faithful with what I've already put in your hands. Because that is actually the test to see if you can handle the opportunity that lies down the path. So God tests our heart. You know, Milton uh, Burrell said this. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Now, see, a lot of people can, can take that as, okay, well, if opportunity is not coming my way, then, then I need to manufacture my own opportunities, and I need to go searching for opportunities. But that's not what I mean by that quote. What I mean is, is that, listen, if opportunity is not knocking, maybe it's a season for you. Maybe right now it's a season of reaping, not harvesting. The Bible is very clear that there are seasons in which we reap, I'm, I'm sorry, seasons in which we sow and seasons in which we reap. And listen, if you're in a season right now of sowing, listen, God's... Build a door. Because can I tell you, the opportunities that God wants to place in our lives are on the other side of the door that we're building. But you know what? Building doors like this. Because see, this, looking for this opportunity produces nothing in us. But building this does. It produces in us perseverance. It produces in us faith. It produces in us the the. the being able to follow God wherever he leads. And so listen, if, 
If the right opportunity hasn't come, listen, just start building doors. Start building doors. But it takes work. It takes commitment. It takes longevity. But when we do, we see God move in a powerful way. And so Matthew made the decision to get up from what had distracted him for so long and seize the opportunity that was before him. And the second thing, it says that he left everything behind. So if you and I are going to be available to be used by God, the first thing we have to do is abandon the distractions and seize the opportunities. And the second thing is this, lighten our load. Lighten our load. See, Matthew left what was familiar to embrace a new opportunity, and he saw it as such. And, you know, I find it a lot easier to embrace the future when we're no longer looking backward toward the past. It's amazing how many people can never embrace the future that God has before them because they're too busy keeping their eyes on what's behind them. And listen, if that's you today and you're in this place, you've got a past. Maybe it's a past that nobody knows about. You've made mistakes. You have great failures in your past, and you think there is no possible way that God could ever use you to do anything of significance. Listen, I want to encourage you today that we serve a God that makes all things new. You know, I love the text in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 19. Isaiah was a prophet. It says, for I'm about to do something new. This is what God is saying to Isaiah. I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. See, God is speaking to the prophet of Isaiah, saying, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? It's already begun. And I love that choice of words. It's already begun. And that tells me that if a new thing has to begin, it also has to end, which means it also has a middle. And so making something new has a beginning, middle, and end, making it a process. Making all things new, it, it's a process. So you may be in here and you think, man, I, I accepted Christ, but my life is like not together. I, I, I just got to get my life together. I mean, I'm in the wrong relationship and my family doesn't know Christ and the people I hang out with, we, you know, we're, they don't come to church and, and my, my life is just a mess. Listen, it's okay. Listen, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, immediately our eternity is secured. But the transformation, that takes time. It's a process. And listen, know this today. Even though... You may not see God working in your circumstance. Even though you may not be able to see the finished result, we can know this today, that God is in the process of making all things new because it's the process that humbles us and glorifies him. And so we can know this thing. Listen, the goal is not perfection. Perfection is reserved for heaven. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us can get it right. The goal is progress, to continue to step forward where God leads us. And we can declare that even if we're in the middle of a process, that our God is making all things new. No matter what shame you walked in here with today, you can declare that your God is making all things new. He makes all things new. You know, if we look to to verse 28, actually verse 29, it, it says that Matthew invites Jesus to a feast at his home. And at this feast, there were other tax collectors. You know, I, I love how Matthew prepared a seat for Jesus at the table, but he wasn't ashamed of who else was at the table. I find it so courageous that 
that after his encounter with Jesus, he didn't try to hide who he was and who he had been from Jesus. Isn't it amazing how so many of us limit the power of God by only opening up the parts of our lives we'll think he'll be pleased with? Listen, that's how people perceive God. They think that he's this some supreme being that wants a front row seat to the parts of our lives that are put together, but wants nothing to do with the parts of our lives that are not put together. And that's why we create checklists, right? Okay, check, went to church. Oh, check. Oh, I, I didn't curse out my husband today. Woohoo! Uh, didn't kill the kids today. Uh, wasn't late for work. See, God, see all the things that, that I'm getting right. And then we want to hide all the things that we get wrong. And listen, let me tell you today, that is not the God that we serve. He does not want a front row seat to your checklist. He wants a front row seat to every part of your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the disgusting, the humiliating. Because God is not ashamed of you and I. He wants to restore and redeem you and I. And don't you know that's what he was doing for Matthew? When the Pharisees said to the other disciples, why do you eat with such scum? Can you imagine being seated in a restaurant and around that table, there was somebody that said that about you. They turned to one of your friends and say, why do you eat with such scum? But you know, Jesus answered him and said, you know what? It's not the healthy people who need, or it's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the sick people who do. And I have come to call those, not who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In Psalm 23, it says that, that God is preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And again, the word's so specific. And listen, when God shut down the Pharisees with that statement, he sealed the calling and destiny that he had for Matthew. And he wants to do the same thing for you and I. But we have to make the decision that, you know what? We're not going to carry the burdens of 2016 into 2017. We're going to let go of those past hurts because, you know, past hurts have a way of triggering behaviors that ruin our present. So we got to make the decision to let go of the past, to let go of past hurts, to let go of past failures and press on and move into what God has for us in 2017. And that's the decision Matthew made. He got up. He left everything behind. And it says that he followed Jesus. And so if you and I are going to make ourselves available to be used by God, first thing we got to do is we got to abandon distractions and seize opportunities. The second thing we have to do is lighten our load and leave the past behind us. And this is the third thing. Give up our need to be in control and follow. Matthew got up. He left everything and he followed Jesus. It's a simple concept, but always difficult to do. Because we have this, this thing called skin, right? Every single one of us. And our skin never wants to go in the direction in which God is leading us. Actually, Galatians chapter 5 talks about how our flesh is always in opposition of the spirit. And our skin never wants to be in the center of the will of God for our lives. You know, when it comes to, to following, it's, it, it, it's not in our nature. It's not a part of our flesh to want to follow, right? We want to do our own thing. We want to do what we know is best for us. We want to take the opportunities we believe are best for us or that are worthy of us. And so we, we play this, this game, this, this wrestle between our skin and our spirit. And why is it so difficult? 
Why is it so difficult to say no to our skin and say yes to following Jesus? And as I've thought about that question this week, I, I really think that it's because many of us are okay with Jesus being a category in our lives, but not the focus of our lives. And so what we do is we start to compartmentalize God in church. Okay, I go to church on Saturday and I serve on Sunday. And then this, you know, category is my marriage. And then this is my work. And then this is, this is parenting. And we compartmentalize all the different areas of our lives. And let me just tell you that if we compartmentalize our relationship with God in 2017, if we only put him in the boxes we want him in, then he can't rescue us in the boxes we need him in. Listen, we need God in our marriage. We need God in our parenting. We need God in our finances. We need God in our workplace. We just, we need God in every area of our lives. And so we can't compartmentalize. We can't say, okay, you know what, God, you're going to be a category in my life. No, we have to say, you know what, God, you're going to be the focus and at the center of my life. I'm going to prepare a seat for you at every table. In the area of my marriage, in the area of my finances, in the area of my parenting, in the area of my workplace. We gotta prepare a seat for Jesus. You know, it's when we surrender control, even in the areas that are so difficult to give up control. When we surrender control, listen, it's it's in that moment when we lay down our dream for God's dream. It's in those moments when we let go of, of past offenses or bitterness or unforgiveness or heartbreak and we allow our hearts to be broken for what breaks the heart of God. And listen, nothing breaks the heart of God more than the number of people that are walking around all over this earth and have no idea that there's a Savior in heaven that died for them so that they don't just have to endure life. No, because God says actually in John 10, 10, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and life abundantly. Jesus died so that we could have an abundant life. That means you and I actually have a right to enjoy every single moment of our lives. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he died on the cross for. That's what he gave his life up for, life and life abundantly. But you know what? There's so many people wandering aimlessly. Have you ever heard that expression, Though all those who wander are not lost? Have you, I've heard that expression before, and can I tell you? It's not true. Those who wander are lost. Because God did not say, be born, wander, and then die. God gave us a mission. He gave us a directive. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Be the salt and the light on earth. For no one hides a lamp under a basket, but we put it on a hilltop and let it shine. God's given us directive, but listen to the degree in which we're willing to follow him through the dark, through the unknown, even when it hurts, even when it rips our hearts apart. Listen, let me tell you, there will be seasons God asks you to follow him, and it'll rip your heart apart. It'll be painful. But listen, when we make that decision to say, you know what, God, I've tried this my own way, and it's just not working. 2016 did not look like I thought it would. 
And God, it's because I, I've tried to do things in my own strength. I've tried to do things in my own wisdom, my own understanding. It's when we make that decision to surrender control of our lives and to follow him that we give him the power to be able to do miracles in our life. You know, I love what John 8, 12 says. Jesus once again addressed them. He said to him, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Listen, that's good news. That's good news. For no one who follows Christ will ever stumble in darkness. Listen, darkness will come into our lives. Darkness will come into our lives, but those of us who choose to follow Christ will not stumble and fall. We will walk through the darkness, but we will not be overcome by it. It says in Psalm that, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't live there. We're not staying there. We're walking through the darkness. And God makes a promise to us that when we follow him, we will not be overcome by that darkness. But we have to follow him step by step by step. And when we do, we see God do the miraculous. You know, I've, we've got just a couple minutes left, and, and I just want to end us. We're going great on time. This is awesome. That never happens to me. Usually I'm like the longest preacher, so I, and, uh, so I think we're, we're good on time. I, I want to end this here. I want to share a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, I'm going to do it on my iPad because it's easier to read. Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the Hall of Faith. And I don't know if you've ever read all of Hebrews chapter 11. We, of course, you know, we don't have time to, to read the entire chapter. But I do encourage you to go home and to read Hebrews chapter 11. It has so many examples of those who have come before us who have walked through challenging seasons. But because of the faith that God had built in them, they were able to overcome those challenges. And so I want to I want to read to you starting in Hebrews chapter 11 chapter 11 verse 7. It says by faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and he acted on what he was told. And the result is that his family was saved. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It says in verse 11 that it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. In verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. There's that word test. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son. In verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 26, it says, Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Verse 29, by an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, and the Egyptians tried and drowned. 
And in Hebrews 11 verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. And I love what it says in verses 32 through 35. How much more do I need to say? That's what Paul's saying. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all of the prophets. But by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of their sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. Their weakness. Listen, that's what the power of God does. When we surrender control of our lives, all of a sudden our weaknesses become strength. Because it's no longer us, but it's Christ in us. And it's when that that moment when the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you and I. And listen, by that same faith in which God made Abraham a father of many nations... In the same way in which Sarah had a child, even in her old age. In that same way that God made Moses a hero to the Israelites. In the same way that the Israelites walked across the Red Sea. And in the same way that the Israelites walked around the city of Jericho. And the walls came crumbling down. It's by that same faith and in that same way that the walls of the fear, of the doubt, of the depression, of the illness, of the sickness will come crumbling down in your life. But are you willing to get up, leave everything behind, and follow him? 2016 does not have to look the same way. I'm sorry, 2017 does not have to look like 2016. God wants to do a new thing in your life this year. And I want to encourage you. Listen, don't don't let yourself be distracted by the things that the enemy is throwing at you. No, keep your eyes focused on God. Leave your past behind. Follow him. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. Listen, for some of you, you just need to take your next step this year. Maybe for you, you've, you've attended long enough, but maybe it's time to, to get connected in a connect group. We do connect groups here. Listen, we believe that life is too short and not meant to be lived alone. We actually need people. Did you know that God actually uses people around us to be a source of encouragement and strength? So I encourage you, if you're not in a connect group, join a connect group this year. Surround yourself with people that can be strong in the faith. That can be there for you. That knows the season of life that you're in. That knows the struggles that you've been there. That have walked there. Listen, surround yourself with people that can lift you up. That's why we do connect groups. Maybe you just need to take that next step and and be around some people and create some solid God-honoring relationships. Maybe your next step is is to start serving on one of our ministry teams. You know, serving is, uh, sometimes I think it's almost a selfish thing because God does something in us when we serve. Yes, we serve for other people, but can I tell you, when we take a moment and we take the focus off of our pain and put the focus on someone else's pain, that's the moment that God begins to heal our pain. So I encourage you, if you're not on a team, listen, Right out there at guest services, we can get you all the information about connect groups. We can get you connected uh, to serving in different ministries. After service, we're going to have pastors here at the front 
who would be honored to pray with you. Listen, ask them about a connect group. Ask them about serving on a team. Maybe your next step, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've yet to follow him in baptism. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's, it's giving. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I encourage you. Think about that. Pray about that. And know that you know what, 2017, it is going to be your year. Even if things may not turn out like you think they should, it can still be your year if you choose to continue to follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that that as we leave here today, God, that you would direct us, that you would guide us, Father. God, I pray that the things that have distracted us from walking towards our God-given destiny, Father, that we would leave that behind, that we would leave that in 2016, that we wouldn't carry that with us into this new year, Father. God, I pray that we would seize the opportunities that you are putting in front of us, God. And I'm not talking about the flashing lights, the glamorous opportunities. No, I, God, I pray that we would be faithful in what you've given to us, God, that we would continue to build doors knowing that the opportunity you have for us is on the other side. God, I pray that we would leave our past behind us. And Father, I pray that we would choose to follow you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just, I can't end service without giving, even if it's just one, someone who walked in here today and you don't know Christ. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never invited him into your heart. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give those that are saying, you know what, I, I am messed up. I am a sinner. I have tried doing it my own way, and it has not worked. I'm ready to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to make him the master, the Lord, the CEO of my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to pray this prayer right there where you're at. You don't have to get up. You don't have to stand up. Our, our heart is, is not to, to single you out. But I want you to pray this prayer right where you're at. Say, Father, I am a sinner. God, I confess that I have made mistakes. But, Father, I choose your way. I invite you into my heart. I'm asking you to be the Lord, the Savior of my life. And Father, I commit to doing life your way. And then in your own way, in your own heart, just thank him. Thank him that he did not have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins. But he chose to. The Bible says that anyone who prays that prayer and believes, anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he put on flesh, that he died on the cross so that you and I could spend an eternity with him, is saved and made new. Father, I thank you for the decisions that were made in this house, God. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand.